May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So this Sunday is Advent 4, fourth Sunday in Advent, and traditionally Advent 4 is a time to honour Mary. We have this picture here of the Nativity, and I quite like it because, I mean, often we talk about Joseph being quite happy, but if you look in that one, he's a little grumpy, really. He's off to one side, feeling like this is not working out well for him. And actually, there are a lot of icons like that around the Middle East, of the grumpy Joseph, not the super happy Joseph. But we're not here to talk about Joseph, we're here to talk about Mary, Advent 4 is an opportunity for us to reflect on how Mary helps us into the mystery of the Incarnation and our place in that mystery. Which is a big sentence and it begs two questions. What is the Incarnation and how do we see Mary? So let's look at those one at a time. So the first question then, how might we describe the Incarnation? That's a very good question. This is what Christmas is all about. So I invite you to turn around to your neighbour or to ponder on your own for about 30 seconds. How would you describe the Incarnation? What is the Incarnation all about? 30 seconds, either on your own or talking to your neighbour. Alright, that might have warmed you up. So what do you think? What is the Incarnation about? Somebody asked you that. How would you explain it? It's about God becoming man. Very good. Basics. God becoming man, or we might say God becoming human. Oh, yes. Yes. Both work. Do we want to say anything more about that? About the importance of that? New birth. New birth for? For all of us. All of us. Okay. Anything else? Well, there's a bit of a discussion around Christianity about the importance of the Incarnation. For a whole lot of Christians, the importance of the Incarnation is Jesus is born to die. And basically everything that happens in the Gospels is immaterial, because the importance of Jesus is that he becomes one of us, and then takes upon himself all the punishment that the grumpy God wants to place on him, instead of punishing us, and so Jesus dies in our place, and then we can get into heaven. So that's the Incarnation in a nutshell, according to a whole lot of Christians. But there are other Christians who say, there's got to be a reason why the Gospel writers wrote the Gospels. Like if that was it, they wouldn't have bothered with the Gospels. They might have written about the crucifixion and resurrection, but the rest of it would have been a little bit immaterial. So for them, who Jesus was and how he lived his life was quite important. And in fact, for Christian theologians for about the first thousand years, who Jesus was, was quite important. So, who, what then might we say about the Incarnation in light of that? Well, the Incarnation is when Jesus becomes human. When God becomes human in the person of Jesus. 
Now, we often kind of gloss over that as if that's kind of a nice statement. But let's just think about that. When God becomes human, if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know the nature of God, if you want to know who God is, well, we often go shooting off into all sorts of places and quote passages out of the Old Testament. But the Gospel writers were making a very bold claim. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know the nature of God, look at Jesus, because he is God who became one of us to remind us of who God is. And what do we see in Jesus' life? We see God who is generous and compassionate and inclusive and keeps stepping outside of the rules and including people who weren't supposed to be included, uh, gave aroha to people who the establishment said were beyond the pale and shouldn't be shown any aroha at all. This is the nature of God. And then we are reminded, as St. Augustine of Hippo said, that we are made in the image of that God. That within us is that image, that image of divine love. And we are created in that love, and we are created to live out that love. So the Incarnation then should remind us of who God is, and who we are, and how we are to live our lives in response to that. So, Christmas is a big deal, because it reminds us of those things. Every year we stop and think, this is when... God became human, and we are reminded of who we are. So that's the incarnation. What about Mary? So this is a Mexican Mary, pious Mary. Well, same gig, 30 seconds, either on your own or talking to your neighbour. Who is Mary for you? Have Have a think about who is Mary. Where are you going? All right. Now we should have a range of answers depending on our understanding and our, where we sit in all of this. So Mary is quite the controversial figure within Christianity. Who do we say Mary is? She was in the name of David, Nathan's brother. Yes. She was a brave young woman. Yep. She was a humble and obedient. Humble and obedient. We're going to come back to that. So we have to be careful how we say. So that's humble and obedient there. She was a teenager. She was a teenager. Indeed. Any other thoughts about Mary? She was chosen by God. She was chosen by God. So you can tell we're reasonably Protestant low church here because none of the big things have come out. We haven't called her Mother of God, Queen of Heaven, uh, Eternal Virgin, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, So if we were on the more Catholic part of the world, and in fact the vast majority of Christians would have come out with all of those those phrases. Uh, So the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, Uh, the High Anglicans and the High Lutherans. 
So not all the Lutherans are low church, a lot of them are high church. So all of them would have described Mary using those terms. Right. So some of those phrases are quite controversial. The Catholics say that she was bodily assumed into heaven. So when she died, she was just taken into heaven because she was so sacred. Uh, The Orthodox don't go along with that at all. So if you go to Jerusalem, there's uh, the Roman Catholic Church where uh, Mary was assumed bodily into heaven and down the road is the Orthodox Church which has her tomb. Not sure which one of them is right. But who was Mary? So if we have the next one, she was a peasant girl. A teenager. She lived in a cave, probably, with her family in a very, very small village called Nazareth, where everyone lived in caves. And uh, there was probably only about 200 people living there at the time of Mary. Tiny little place. And I've often talked about how Mary was a, a young girl with very little choice in her life. She did what her mother told her to do. Uh, She was learning what it meant to be a wife so that when her father arranged for her uh, marriage for her as he had, she was going to marry Joseph, she could honour her family name by being the dutiful wife that was expected of her and that she had been trained to be by her mother. And then, if she did that, she would fulfil her duty well. So she lived in a world with very narrow expectations and lots of rules that governed her personal life and her religious life. So we see her as humble and obedient. And she's often portrayed as the epitome of what a good woman is, humble and obedient, dutifully doing everything that the men tell her to do. And actually, if you look at most of the pictures, that's kind of what she looks like. Some of them are amazing. Some of them she even has blonde hair and blue eyes, but she was a Jew, so no blonde hair, no blue eyes. But I'm this time around reading the story from Luke 1, I just thought that maybe there was a kind of little bit of feistiness in there. So if we just pop this one up. So there's the Archangel Gabriel talking to her, and she's going, not without the prenup, which is pushing it a bit far. But... But there is an edge to some of her responses. So Gabriel, the messenger, comes and says, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. Which, actually, if you were a young girl and a messenger comes to her from a a powerful person, that was hardly ever good news. Because that basically meant uh, you were now being taken off for his pleasure. And if you were lucky, you would remain in the concubine, as a concubine in the group of concubines for the rest of your life. And if you were unlucky, he would have his way with you and then you'd be returned home. But you would be of no value to your family because you could no longer marry. So your world as you knew it was about to change, either for maybe better or for worse. So this is not a good thing to hear. Maybe from an archangel, but generally not. So you can understand her being perplexed Or, as I wonder, this is where Mary is screaming out at the top of her lungs, Mom, Dad, come here quickly. This is very odd what's going on and I need your help. And then the archangel goes on. Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. 
You just can't say that phrase, he will be great anymore, without thinking of Donald Trump, can you? When I read that, it was like, ruin the Bible, well, that little bit of the Bible for me, Donald. And he will be called the son of the highest. And he goes on, to which Mary responds in Luke, how can this be, since I am a virgin? But may have gone something more like, and just what kind of girl do you think I am? Like, I am good. I have always done what my mother and father have told me, and I am devout, and I have not been doing any of the kind of things where I could become pregnant. So, I think you've got the wrong girl, and you've probably got the wrong village, but I understand there are some girls just like that in the village next door. So maybe if you go and see them, you will find who you're looking for. So the angel has to go on, because she's clearly not making any headway here. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will hover over you, and therefore the child you bring forth bring to birth will be called the holy will be called holy son of god which still doesn't seem to be making any impression because she is just standing there hands on hips going uh-huh uh-huh again i'm not wearing this so the archangel has to go on well did you know that your cousin elizabeth conceived a son old as she is Everyone called her barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. See, nothing is impossible for God. Now, in Luke, Mary answers immediately, but I think there was a pause here while she considered all that had been said, considered the evidence of her cousin Elizabeth now being pregnant, and at the end of it, she says, Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. So this was a deliberate choice. We're not quite there yet. A deliberate choice. And it came with an edge where she thought about the risks and what was being said to her. Because this was an astoundingly risky enterprise. I mean, if she gets pregnant (coughs) before she's married, because getting married meant... You and Joseph went off and did your thing. That's when you got married. If you get pregnant before then, then you're not marriable. You could be stoned. It's a very risky thing that she is being asked to do. And and although we often see her as powerless and just doing what God said, I think underneath Luke's description here is a much stronger young girl. And as I said three years ago, I wonder whether Luke actually knew Mary much later down the track. Because Mary's song is a strong song. It's a defiant song of protest. It is not a humble, obedient, I will do whatever you do kind of song. This is the song of a woman who really knew God and knew the radical thing that God was doing. So... Now we can have that picture. How, do, how does Mary help us into the mystery of the Incarnation and our place in, the, in that mystery? Well, I think Mary offers us two ways into that mystery. The first is to follow her example. She was a young woman who took some control over her life. And she made that decision for herself. And we are constantly being invited 
to do what she did, consider everything that we're being asked of, asked for, and to make the same decision every day. Yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Every day we are invited to make that exact same response. And the second is to see the many Marys in the world today. Peasant girls and boys, with little or no say in their lives. Many of whom found favour by working on the plantations for little or no wages. The plantations that then provide us our chocolate and coffee that is so important at this time of year. Or the poor girls and girls and boys who are sold into employment by their parents who can't pay the bills, who then work in the shops, the sweatshops that make the gifts that we give at Christmas, the cheap gifts and sometimes the not-so-cheap gifts still made with incredibly low-wage labour. So the Incarnation invites us to see those Marys in our world today and to know that they are made in the image of God just as we are made in the image of God. And to know that the choices we make at Christmas and every time we buy things affects their lives. And so this is from the Christian World Service uh, brochure and this is... uh, This is their Christmas appeal, which you may or may not have been given their Christmas appeal. I hope you were, but I'm not sure where those brochures ended up. Uh, So, but I invite you to think about giving to Christian World Service and the work that they do, working with the Marys of today. But there's also fair trade, so that when we're buying chocolate, when we're buying coffee, we can think about buying fair trade, so that the people who provide the raw materials are being paid a decent wage. They're being provided the the medical care and the education that they need to further their lives. And they're not just very cheap labour so that we in the West can get our chocolate and coffee at the cheapest possible price. And when you're complaining about chocolate and coffee and the price of it, it's not the pickers who get that money, it's the European middle people who buy it and then on sell it on to the companies. So, is that the last picture? Two ways that we are invited into the Incarnation this Christmas. The question then, how does Mary help you into the mystery of the Incarnation? And how does Mary help you find your place in that mystery? I invite you to spend a moment reflecting on that. Again, you can talk to your neighbour, but you don't have to. You can sit in silence if you want to. And then in a minute we are going to not do a creed, but we are going to do the Angelus, which we don't normally do. And in our part of the world, Anglicans don't do the Angelus, but in other parts of the world, Anglicans do the Angelus all the time. So if you go to the Solomon Islands, for example, or anywhere in Melanesia, at midday the bells will ring and people will stop and they will say the Angelus. You don't even have to be in church. You just, wherever you are, will hear the bells and the people around will stop and say the Angelus. In America, churches say the Angelus all the time. So today we are going to honour Mary and say the Angelus, which you do not need to know. It will magically appear on the screen. But before we do that, 
Just reflect on that question. How does Mary help you into the mystery of the Incarnation and find your place in that mystery? So if we like to stand, and the Angelus is, like sometimes people feel like the Angelus is a Roman Catholic thing which honours Mary and does things that we shouldn't be doing, but actually the Angelus is about us. It's about our place in the mystery of the Incarnation. And Mary becomes the vehicle by which we find our place in the Incarnation, hence the name. In the Orthodox Church she is called the Theotokos or the God-bearer. And the importance of that understanding for the Orthodox was that Mary was the first God-bearer, but we, as followers of Jesus, are also God-bearers. So the Angelus invites us to think about how we bear God in the world. The angel of the Lord brought tidings to Mary. And she conceived by the Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. And the Word was made flesh. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. Let us pray. Pour your grace into our hearts, O Lord, that we who have known the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ, announced by an angel to the Virgin Mary, may by his cross and passion be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.